Welcome to Piecing It All Together. I'm Randy Woodley. I'm Bo Sanders. We are excited to catch up after a little bit of a hiatus, an unplanned hiatus. Yeah, man, it's been a busy, busy summer. You have had a lot going on, and so we're going to walk through some of your travels and some of your dealings, your speaking at conferences, and uh, update everybody on your comings and goings. <laughs> and uh, we, we also want to thank our Patreon supporters for getting us through this period. We thank you for your faithfulness and your vision to partner with us, and we're excited to invite you to an August 11th Zoom chat. It's going to be a Sunday afternoon. Normally we do it on uh, Saturday mornings, but we're going to do it Sunday afternoon, August 11th at 3 p.m. Pacific. And this is not just for our Patreon supporters. We want to open it up for anybody who wants to be in the conversation. Yeah, so come one, come all. Yes, but you have to let us know that you want the code to get in the room. We're not going to publish the code widely, but for those of you who want an invite, I will send you an invite. So you can do that on the Facebook page. You can comment on this a podcast underneath the show notes, or you can email us at connect at piecingitalltogether.com. Yeah, and then get the code. So the only code I know, Bo, is the code of the West. <laughs> what is that code? Oh, that's the old one. Yeah, it sounds rough. <laughs> uh, so let's uh, let's go back a little bit in time. Just so you know, Randy and I did record when he was on the East Coast, and I was at a conference on the West Coast. But we uh, used um, a recording uh, up through the cloud, and it didn't turn out great because we weren't using good microphones. And so we decided not to put out an inferior recording. So yeah, we already have inferior people speaking. We didn't want to have <laughs> yeah, an inferior a, recording, too. We, so. we already have something working against us, so we didn't <laughs> want to double down on that. Yeah. But there was some material in that conversation, especially about your time in Columbus, Ohio, hmm. and your time in the East Coast, that I wanted to make sure that we did talk about because you encountered some really interesting people um, at those conferences. So I wanted to make sure that people got a chance to hear about that. Yeah. So uh, Edith and I were invited to Columbus, Ohio for the Center for Earth Ethics uh, annual conference and uh, met some great people. Um, this is a little bit of name dropping, so forgive <laughs> me, but Al Gore spoke there as well. Oh. So uh, also some some incredible scientists and other people. And we, uh, I was on a panel and then I, I think uh, we did a uh, a couple workshops and things, and, and uh, uh, Mr. Gore, Senator Gore, actually attended our last workshop. And uh, it was kind of cool because uh, he asked for the PowerPoint afterwards. Yeah. So I, I hope he actually does something about it. We were we were emphatic that um, our job, uh, because our organization, Alahe Eagles Wings, is now uh, taking on the other mantle of um, uh, Earth Justice, and um, our goal for that is to empower the voices of traditional indigenous elders and, and try to get them in as high a level of a decision-making process as we can in terms of the nation and, and how we do things, because we truly believe that um, only indigenous wisdom is going to get us through this climate change. Wow. So this group that you went out there, you were a... Uh more than impressed with what you found. Yeah, I mean, uh, one of the things, you know, I'm, I'm going to give a little cred to your uh, family there, the Methodist yeah. uh, uh, Theological Seminary of Ohio, MTSO, yeah. uh, Dr. Valerie, Bridge, Valerie Bridgman, and um, uh, and uh, uh, Tim uh, uh, Van... 
oh, I forgot Tim's last name. Great guy. You know, he has the program out there. Um, uh, they are really pulling something great together in terms of uh, if you're interested in studying the ecology along with uh, uh, religion, um, that's the place to look into. They really got it going out there. And then they're partnering in a lot of things with Ohio State University, their experimental gardens, their climate change stuff. Their, uh, we went to um, the... Um, the place at Ohio State University is the number one in the world that goes in, takes core sample from glaciers. Yeah. And uh, we saw some like million year old core samples and we saw, you know, all kinds of stuff. But the, uh, you know, unfortunately, um, our, after leaving there, we realized that things are worse than, oh. than we ever thought they were. Oh. And we thought they were pretty bad. Would it help if they weren't million-year-old core samples, but they were only 6,000 years old? And so the news, like if it was all condensed down, then it's not that bad. Yeah, that's right. I'm not great at math, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. But the bottom line on this is that except for the Antarctic, um, the glaciers are melting all over the world at a very rapid rate. You know, it shows up in interesting places. I saw um, in one of the, the Norwegian countries... They're really worried about it's. They know it's going to deeply impact their tourism. Mm-hmm. This year, when they went out, one of the biggest um, glaciers that they normally the boats go by had fallen off, yeah. and it's coming off at a record rate. Yeah. And they know that this is. I mean, this is a ca- catastrophe, and that you know the article actually said like we know tourism isn't like our biggest challenge at this point. But it's emblematic of the way it's going to impact all the society from food production, shorelines, tourism, everything is going to be impacted. Absolutely. And, um, well, before I go on to talk about the Midwest crisis that we saw uh, as we traveled across the country and train, um, I, I've, I've seen something about Iceland. And Iceland gets um, one of its beers is made from a particular glacier. Yeah. And that glacier is going, going, gone. And so they're not going to be able to have their one of their favorite beers anymore, yeah. which is kind of you know ridiculous, but it's also uh, indicative of what's going on. I actually think that these little anecdotes are helpful to paint a bigger picture for the fact that this isn't happening down the road and this isn't happening somewhere else. This is affecting everyone presently. Yeah, absolutely. It, it hasn't gotten to you yet. It's on its way. Yeah. We have native villages in Alaska that had to be abandoned because the permafrost melts yeah. and they can't, the buildings start to collapse and things. And yeah. Well, so, even the, we talked about uh, the caribou herd. Um, I had been listening in a Canadian report. The, the caribou herd, um, because the, the their food is contained in that permafrost mm-hmm. layer, yeah. that because that's not there, they're actually having to change the hunting quotients. And so they've done a partnership with the First Nations in the that area. Kuchan people. Probably. To cut back, that the First Nations are voluntarily cutting back their harvest this year in exchange for the white government to not give out regulations to people to fly, you know, normally people fly in and it's like big business, right. To hire these, right. these outfitters, right. Uh, to stalk the caribou for bow hunting or even rifle hunting that they're not going to be able to do that this year because there's just not, uh, they can't put that pressure on the caribou herd that they're not going to be able to sustain it. So the tribe and the Western government have come to this agreement that they're all going to, 
um, cut back. Yeah, and and hopefully we'll see more uh, compromises and things like that in the future. Yeah, I think here we liken, and so right, right. Obviously, they're not liking what's going on. <laughs> oh no, I can't believe you went there. <laughs> All well, right. so I didn't want to. I don't want to start off with a really depressing note. So, so. that was Columbus, Ohio, and we're going to actually link to the work that's being done by that group that you uh, were there with. Remind oh, cool. us of the yeah. E. Um, Center for Earth Ethics. There we go. Okay. Yeah. So we'll link to them for those of you who are interested to see the work that they're doing and connect with them. Is this an annual conference? Yeah, it's an annual right. conference. And so maybe if you're in that part of the country, you might want to put that on your calendar for next year. Yeah, they have an office. I, I think their office is at Union Seminary in uh, New York. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then you continued on uh, to the East Coast, and you hung out with... So, well, I just want to talk about my... I, I made two trips to the East Coast by train, because you know I don't fly. Yeah. And, um, and I mean, everything is underwater. Yeah. Nobody is planting the crops this year. Oh. I don't know what's going to happen, but the projections are not good at all. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, the, the only thing that I could have saw was saved them if, if they all planted rice. Because yeah. everything was underwater, and uh, yep. and it was horrendous. I mean, people just can't plant. You're not overstating this. No. That when I drove through South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana recently, all of the talk in every uh, truck stop I stopped in to get coffee, every conversation was about the fact that they can't get the wheat, even the wheat that grew, out of the fields because of the water. Mm-hmm. It's so wet that they can't even harvest the winter wheat and thus can't turn over and plant the next crop. Like it's a real crisis. Yeah. We're, we're going to feel the effects of that probably next year. So, um, so yeah, let's, um, Our, the price of my avocado toast is going to go up for sure. Yeah. Hey, I just discovered when I was in Washington DC at the summit, I, like they were breaking out breakfast bar yeah. in the last day. Right. And yeah. I'm, I'm like, what is this? A salad bar? And I asked the guy that was setting it up, I said, are we having a salad bar for breakfast? And he said, no, it's avocado toast. I'm like, what's that? Oh, no. I never heard of avocado toast. So um, it's funny you brought that up. Randy lives about 30 miles south of Portland, and apparently (laughs) avocado toast hasn't made its way down here yet. Maybe not. in Portland, I think it's the number one thing for, like, breakfast and uh, brunch well i tried it and i liked it oh it's know? delicious yeah so yeah and, and then we've actually had it once here since i've been back so you yeah. know it's catching on down here at Ayla Hay farm it, nice it's actually somewhat of a cliche because people have actually i there was an article that some conservative uh uh, economists wrote that said if if these youngsters these millennials didn't spend so much money on Uh, gourmet coffee and avocado toast, then they wouldn't be living with their parents. And people people came back and said, stop. Do you understand how student loans are structured? Like, that's the problem, not avocado toast. (laughs) Then it became a touch point. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, so we went uh, to the – I went to the summit in Washington, D.C. at the invitation of – Sojourners, yeah, uh, the Jim Wallace and friends, and um, and I did a plenary, I did a workshop, and I did a panel while I was out there. Okay, and then they asked me to do something else on the before I I left. They said, "Would you be one of our elders?" And so, um, you know, as a 
person who's been recognized as an elder in our community, um, there's a certain kind of way to you have to respond. That's it's not an informal request. That's more of a formal request for Native people. If if you're going to act as an elder, there's certain things that are required. If you're going to do ceremony. You need to, you know, wear certain things and dress oh. kind of nice. And so I told them, I said, well, will I be able to use my eagle feather? Because they, they said at the end, the elders um, will pray for each person and, and say a blessing over them. And that saying a blessing over them is really not our native tradition. Mm-hmm. But I thought, okay, well, it's an honor to be asked to be an elder, mm-hmm. I guess, at a gathering. So we'll do that. And so, um, and things went really well at the summit, although it is of of the um, progressive Christian movement, it's sort of the highbrow crowd, right? I oh, mean, okay. It is Washington, D.C., after all. Okay. I mean, I I was there with my friend Joshua Grace, and uh, we went to the, uh, the National uh, Native American Museum on the mall and walked around. And at first, I was like, what? It's 85 degrees out. Why is everybody in shirts and ties and jackets? You know, <laughs> like the only people I'm used to seeing that is these Mormons that walk around the Mormon elders. You know, <laughs> so I thought my my subconscious first went Mormons everywhere, yeah. and then I realized, oh, this is how people dress here in the East. You know, oh. so it's 85 degrees way. out, yeah. yeah, and they're all walking around with jackets and 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 I'm like, what the hell possesses people to dress like this? Yeah. You know, some kind of cult or what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and uh, so anyway, back to the story. Um, uh, they asked if we would, you know, if I would pray for folks and say a blessing, and so I asked, well, you know, I the, the, I have a uh, a headdress that was given to me by our indigenous elders. Um, that headdress is given as a honor honorary uh, um, kind of symbol. And, um, and, and you know when to wear it and when not to, basically. Uh-huh. This occasion re- would require me to wear that yeah. and use my eagle feathers and to probably use uh, sage or something yeah. to, to pray. And so I asked them about all that, and they said, yeah, that's great. And then I got there, and they told me I wasn't going to be able to use the sage. And so I said, okay, well, I can pray. But I had this weird thing happen, and, and I hadn't really shared this with, except for, you know, like maybe one or two people. Um, but this weird thing happened where, uh, although there were a number of other elders who were there, and these are like high-profile people, right? This is the the uh, the bishop of the Episcopal Church, Michael. Uh-huh. Oh, um, I don't know. I forget his last name. He's the one that performed, did the wedding of... Uh, oh, the royal uh, couple. Yeah, the royal yeah. couple. Yeah. Oh, and people and, loved his, the ceremony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, um, what's the pastor's name from Ferguson, Missouri, um, that's... that. Uh, everybody uh, loves to hear. It's very prophetic. Um, uh, you know, I, I, names are not coming to me right now. So there was um, uh, Barbara Skinner was there, and um, just a number of people who are sort of elder stature, right? Um, and so they they had uh, sort of mentioned that all those people were elders the whole time, but they never mentioned me, which I was like, okay, well, that's that's fine. I don't have to be mentioned or anything just to uh, to do this. But then this weird thing happened, and I was in uh, 
um, I was getting. Uh, it was actually at the avocado toast breakfast okay. that, that my person, I'm calling him my handler now, yeah. uh, came up to me and said, "You know, in 15 minutes we'll meet at." And I and I just cut him off and said, "The green room, right?" Because that's where I met before. I was on a panel with like Becca Stevens and Johnson Wilson Hargrove and other folks that it was a real yeah. honor to be with. And um, and so he said, "No, no, don't go to the green room. Go to." The auditorium, and I said there'll be a seat reserved for you. And I'm like, okay. So I went to the auditorium, and uh, nobody was in there, right? Okay. And I'm, I'm like the only person in the auditorium. So I'm like, well, they must be meeting in the green room. So I walked to the green room, and my handler, who's on the other side of the table of all these famous people, right? He gets this. He sees me walk in the door and gets this look of panic in his eyes. And then he rushes around the table, grabs me by the arm, and ushers me out of the green room and says, you're supposed to meet in the auditorium. And I went, well, this is really weird. You know, what? how am I supposed to feel about this? This is yeah. strange. So all the elders but me were invited to the room. And I don't know, did I do something to offend someone? I don't know. Um, and so then I went outside. And, A question you always have to ask yourself. Yeah. I mean, yeah. sometimes. So... Um, uh, and then finally they came and they sat, you know, or on each side of me and around. And then we all went up and and uh, and um, and did our our blessing thing, yeah. you know. But it was so weird. It was like so. I I felt like um, I walked away from that, not like oh, my, not like my pride is hurt because I really don't care about being recognized that yeah. way. But feel like they disrespected me as a native person. Huh. Which means they disrespected the people I represented, also, and um, and that was a really strange thing. I mean, up until that time, it actually been a pretty good conference and yeah. things were going really well. But I walked away with a really bad taste in my mouth, and I thought this is somehow uh, related to a show, and yeah. and also maybe keeping famous people away from other people, and you know, I don't know what all it was. Huh. It was so weird. Um, I'm, you never I'm still got trying to figure it out. On it. No, I, I mean I didn't ask because the thing was over then. Yeah, and uh, and no one said anything, and so I and it was the next day because I'm very slow on the uptake. I like like I'm just having these feelings and like what's going on? Is this me? Is this you know what's? Huh. And uh, and I spent the the next um, no that evening I spent with uh, Renee August. I don't know if you know her. No. She's a, a, a South African from. Um, um, was the township Soweto in Cape yeah, Town, I think, yeah. and uh, really, really great person and speaker, and and uh, just a, a great, great conversation partner. And I mentioned it to her, and and she's like, "Absolutely, they disrespected you as an indigenous person. You know, I would be totally disrespected if they, you know, oh. feel like so. Um, so I've still kind of got a. I'm still trying to figure that out. It's weird." Um, you know, I mean, if, if there's Sojourners people out there, you can write me and explain it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it was it was so weird. And it just reminded me again, Ugh. like, okay, this is where Native people are at on the on the uh, mm. the scale. You know, so. so they asked you to do something that's not even really a part of your tradition <coughs> with this elder thing, and so. I mean, it means something different to you culturally, right? But you were gonna accommodate it and right. be a good sport. You brought your regalia, mm-hmm. your ceremonial. You had your sage, and then you found out you weren't going to be able to do that. You don't even do this blessing thing. That's not even part of your practice. But you were going to play along, and 
right? Because yep. that's what they asked you to do. Yep. And then... And I'm their guest, you know. Yeah, and then this, to have one of the elders in a different place and... That's all a, the other elders. In the, that's yeah. a very strange story. Yeah, all the other elders were all introduced throughout the whole conference, and I wasn't. Um, and huh. it, it was just kind of like uh, odd man out, you know. Yeah. But uh, like, but I couldn't quite put my finger on what was going on because I was trying to think the best of the situation during the whole time. And finally, I needed another indigenous person to say, "Wake up, dude! <laughs> huh. This is uh, this is they, they disrespected you and what you stand for and your people." So anyway, there was that. So that so I left that thinking this is part of the reason I, I hate these Christian conferences yeah. so much because yeah. they're all about like getting in, getting information out, everybody receiving the information, going home thinking they actually learned something when yeah. if they don't practice it, they didn't learn a thing, you know? Yeah. So um so I'm really um it's put another sour taste in my mouth and, and this is part of the whole reason that we don't we don't want to be doing these conferences. We're sort of doing them right now because it's a transition. But we're uh, trying to um, build our indigenous learning center so we can invite people to like these extended weekends. They can spend the weekend talking to each other, um, uh, doing ceremony, doing all the things in a more native context. And, and then you get the real native experience, not where we just have the person come in and be the sage on stage for an hour or hour yeah. and a half, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, man, just listen to all of the the oddities of that your experience and what you bring to the table not lining up with what they were asking you to do and then this thing and feeling slighted. I listened uh, a couple of weeks ago to an interview with uh, Nick Estes. He has a, a new book out called Our History is the Future, Standing Rock versus the Dakota Access Pipeline mm-hmm. and the Long Tradition of Indigenous Resistance. It's one of the best interviews I have ever heard. It oh, was wow. like almost two hours. Yeah. And But as he walked... Can you link us all so that we can go to Yeah, yeah, now? I'll okay. link in the show notes. As he walked through the history of uh, indigenous both treaties, the breaking of those treaties, and then resistance to those... And the implication is that I think because of the nature of the extended interview, because it went on and on and on, you really became immersed in how long-standing this attitude towards uh, the indigenous presence and the indigenous witnesses to the church, mm-hmm. and it's just embedded. And it's I mean, it's unfortunate that it continues, but it's so obvious at points, yeah. and. You know, when somebody points it out and then other people are like, you don't see that? Yeah. So Edith and I, you know, we spent so many years, you know, traveling around and speaking at churches and things. And, and um, you know, I, there were some wonderful people, great people we just fell in love with. But, you know, I would say that, you know, at least half of the time or maybe more were just left a sour taste in our mouth. Yeah. There was just... Um, and, and and not even like the microaggressions because that that's just natural. That's going to happen to yeah. people who don't understand indigenous people, and so we're pretty forgiving about those yeah. kinds of things. But just the um, the inability to sort of get past the we have something to teach you, but you don't have something to teach us. Yeah. You know? So, but I think no. things are changing. I mean, I'm I want to be positive, and I actually, you know, do believe um, that we're in an era where where things are beginning to change and. 
and um, and and because we don't just work in the Christian bubble anymore, we work just with people, and uh, and that includes Christians. Um, so um, we're able to sort of um, like see a, a more willing attitude to to sort of uh, hear what Indigenous wisdom is about. It's one of the reasons you really need your a place to host absolutely because the very structure of the conference is problematic yeah and i've always said pedagogy is more important than content yeah and and so how we learn is um determines what we will learn yeah oh interesting so a couple other things that i did want to ask you about um i know that you did your last face-to-face as a professor mm-hmm. and was that for a reconciliation conference or uh, a class no it was for um a course called the theology and ethic of the land which is my favorite course really yeah. i didn't realize that's what you were teaching yeah and it went really well oh. and and i mean and, and i just you know so last this last week um it ended uh, it actually ended on sunday um, Alicia Monroe, yeah. uh, who we all know, yeah. uh, was in that course, and um, but but a number of others. And I am so encouraged by the student. I say students; I don't really like to use that term, co-learners, but they're all adults, right? Yeah. Um, I was encouraged by the way that people embrace these kinds of things and are ready to start to make changes in their lives. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's, I I think we're starting to enter a new era. I'm really hopeful that we are. That's encouraging. Yeah. So the reconciliation component was something you did in Seattle. Yeah. So Edith and I were invited, um, along with uh, 22 other, um, people around the country who have been known in the past for talking about uh, reconciliation. And I think, I don't know if I'm at liberty to like say who was there yeah. um, because we kind of made an agreement that we wouldn't do that or, or tweet or anything like that. And so, but just let me say that they were, they were all very high caliber people. Some of them world famous, some of them um, uh, nationally known um, and some of them known just in Christian circles, but movers and shakers and things like that. And, and uh, and so we were part of that conversation for three days, and it was a, a good conversation. I was very hesitant to even do it, but I walked away from that thing feeling really good. And I think one of, there was a number of principles that people adapted, but we were very uh, um, adamant about that we we shouldn't be talking about reconciliation unless we also talk about reparations. And and including reparations for the earth, um, along with indigenous people and for African Americans, and and um, and the majority was a black white binary, but not everyone who was there, of course. Um, and, and I think uh, there was a sort of a tacit agreement on everybody that they would all, um, if they weren't already, talk start talking about reparations as well. Really, um, and and. Several reasons for me. One is just the just thing to do. But two, it breaks through what I think is the greatest stronghold on the Western mind, which is dualism. When you actually believe something and then you have to do something about it, that breaks that that, uh, strong dualistic stronghold, you know, so. Yeah. What, by the way, listener, when I laugh, when something comes up, it's because I've been in enough rooms with Randy that I know what 
what the reaction sometimes is or the tension that enters the room. Yeah, and there it wasn't there because oh, okay. these are these are people some of them have been doing this for 30 35 years. So um they were they've sort of they've covered all the ground. They were all adults in the room. We didn't yeah. even though there were some younger people, these people are are sort of the some of the sharpest, you know, who were there. So here's something really interesting to me. I remember even like 3 years ago when reparations became a real topic of conversation. I remember, you know, the re- the initial reaction from people was just like how outlandish that was or yeah. how extreme it was. Yeah. But even just in the last three years, it has become a legitimate topic of conversation mm-hmm. that's part of the regular ongoing dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, and Ta-Nehisi Coates' um, uh, testimony before Congress uh, was a, uh, I think moved the dial a lot farther down yeah. the road. Yeah. Um, but you know, I mean, s- some of us, you know, I know. Um, uh, I wrote a book in 1999, and I and part of the whole thing I talked about for reconciliation was reparations. Yeah. And and reparations for the earth, and then in I think it was maybe like 2008, I wrote an article, maybe 10, for uh, the uh, Dictionary of Scripture and Ethics yeah. on reparations and. And so we've always been, um, you know, asking for reparations. Yeah. It's just part of justice. It's not justice if you have reconciliation and there's no reparations. It's just the way it is, you know. But I, but I also think it, it heals the people who are making reparations because yeah. all of a sudden it becomes very real to them. Yes. You know? it's, it's concrete and, and consequential. Instead of just theoretical and exactly. verbiage, and, and that's the problem with the Western mind. Yeah. It's all theoretical. Yeah. The mind, what the mind knows, is more important than what the body does, yes. or where the body goes. Yeah, to make a rhyme. <laughs> so you know, there's a name, and I'm having trouble coming up for this thing. There's a name that people who are into political theory sort of talk about, which is um, when when you talk about moving the scale or the the scope, mm-hmm. it's it's when. Uh, something happens like that that changes what people think is possible mm-hmm. within the yeah. political Kind of like Bernie did as a, a yep. way of uh, moving yes. the dial for the Democratic Party. Yeah. And then there's a name for this. And obviously there, there can be a negative effect, too, with like our current president behaving in ways that seemed unimaginable a generation mm-hmm. ago. Exactly. And so, but this move towards reparation seems to be I mean, it happened with uh, same-sex marriage. You know, people joke about uh, um, will and grace and mm-hmm. the, the effect that that had on people imagining whether it's same-sex marriage and then Ellen and how these, like, takes, um, especially the power of media. And so, like, his uh, testimony before Congress, right, provided people a way to imagine what what is possible going forward in a larger way than they had before? Right, and um, uh, and of course, other people like uh, old Mitch McConnell and, and who stood up and said, you know, you know, f- basically give every talking point he could against that yeah. because he was afraid. You know, the writing's on the wall, and they're afraid of it. You know, because yeah. so. Um, but um, yeah, uh, you know, Walter Brueggemann wrote the book Prophetic Imagination. Yeah. I think which. And I know Peter Helsel, a friend of mine, is one of those who who really believes in that construct and just is constantly trying to get people to imagine a prophetic uh, trajectory 
of what could happen. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, you know, we're just not used to thinking out of the box, most, yeah. especially Western folks. It's yeah. like, you know, we've got our way of doing things. We've got our bubble yeah. and we got to stay in that bubble. Well, you know, it's time to break all the bubbles and, you know, let's, let's open ourselves up to all the possibilities. Yeah. I think for most people that I encounter their the limit of their imagination is to make a slightly kinder or more accepting version of what is already established. Yeah, exactly. And so they're always tweaking the as-is structures, of, yeah. right? And that's usually the privileged folks, right? The yeah, privileged yeah. class, they want to improve the system yeah. if they're a good person. Yeah. But those who have been oppressed by it want to create a new system where they have a say in it, right? Yeah. So often we look right past each other. Yeah. So, um, and then we had one other thing that happened. I, I spoke at the Peace House in Portland, and okay. maybe we can take that up the ne- the next uh, program because um, I think we're probably running out of time. All right. for this one, so this is episode forty five. Thank you for listening. Please look at the show notes for the links to all the things that we have talked about, and we'll look forward to your feedback. Make sure to get August eleventh at three p.m. Pacific on your calendar, and we'll look forward to seeing you online there. Peace out, people. 